Hello and welcome. I am Dr. Lara May, a clinical pharmacist specializing in functional medicine, as well as a certified yoga teacher and Reiki master. I run a truly integrative health coaching practice, encompassing functional medicine lab testing, yoga and meditation, and a sprinkling of Reiki energy medicine. Join me here on Light Body Radio to break through your health plateau and come into alignment with your natural vitality. Hey, everybody. Happy spring. Welcome back to another episode of Light Body Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Lara May, and today we're going to talk about the gallbladder. And you're probably thinking, I don't care about the gallbladder, but you should. Or maybe you've been told by your doctor that this is an organ that doesn't really matter and that you don't really need it. But that's not true either. So today we're going to talk about how bile is often forgotten and it can be uh, closely related to weight gain, hormone imbalances, digestive problems, and overall body toxicity. We're also going to talk about how sluggish bile could be derailing your thyroid. And like I said, the gallbladder is a very important organ in your body, so it shouldn't be extracted or taken out surgically willy-nilly. Um, obviously, if it's you know exploded and um, infected in your body, it should be removed. But other than that, um, it really is has an important function. Also, we're going to talk about how to know if your bile is toxic and congested. And then, of course, we're going to talk about fixes. So how to get your bile moving again and how bitter foods can help jumpstart that process. So if you are one of the many people that have been trying out the new high-fat diet eating styles like paleo or keto or even the GAPS or the FODMAPS diet styles of eating, um, but you're maybe still overweight or still feeling sluggish or just really haven't seen the results that you've heard so much about, it could be all coming back to your gallbladder or maybe even the lack thereof if you've had it taken out. So, um, I don't, you probably don't really spend that much time thinking about your gallbladder or how it relates to your metabolic situation, but we go a long way in our busy, blissful lives, unaware of the hard work that this organ is doing for us. And many experts talk about the liver and many books have been written about the importance of the liver, but they always seem to sort of give the gallbladder a slight. So we're going to change that today. So why is the gallbladder so important? Well, it is the producer of bile in the body. And uh, maybe you've never heard of bile or maybe you've heard about it and you're like, hmm, not such a sexy topic. You're right. It's not, but it has several essential functions. It's what helps your body break down all of those fats that you've been eating. And whether they're good or bad fats, at this point, it's really irrelevant because the, you need bile in order to break down any fat in your body or any fat that you eat. I'll say that. 
So it's really essential for creating healthy cell membranes and all of the uh, trickle-down effects from that. Bile carries away all the toxins and hormone metabolites from your body that you ingest. And you see not only is bile the real key to your ability to digest and assimilate fats, but it also is a vehicle for removing toxins so that they can be flushed out from your liver. So yes, while your liver is the great detoxifier, a lot of those things build up in the liver and you need the bile to take it away. So bile really is one of the body's premier detox mechanisms. So with the advent of these new eating styles like paleo and keto, Americans are finally breaking up with sugar and that is awesome. But for many, like I said earlier, you're just not seeing the results or even maybe you're feeling worse and not better. And so a lot of this can come down to bile. If your, your bile, it could be possibly the missing link. So we're going to go over a little bit of chemistry. I promise it won't be too painful. Um, but together, your liver and your gallbladder make up your hepatic system. And when your hepatic system is functioning well, you have good circulation, you have nice clean blood, you have healthy cellular metabolism, all these lovely things. In fact, your liver is so essential that you can only survive for a day or two if it stopped functioning altogether. It's one of the largest organs in the body. It weighs about three pounds, depending on how large of a human you are in general. And it's situated on the right side of your upper abdomen, just below your diaphragm. As the body's prime detoxification organ, the liver takes an, um, an enormous beating from the toxic world that we live in. And so we really need to be giving it some extra TLC on a regular basis. And we can do this in a lot of ways. Um, but many foods and lifestyle choices that we have um, even done in the past or are currently doing, such as refined sugar, grains, unhealthy fats like trans fats, too little fiber or too much alcohol and caffeine, some medications, even emotional stress, are all of these things are really hard on the liver. So it's really important, like I said, that we give it a little extra love. But did you know that your liver is the only organ in the body that can actually rebuild itself? Up to 75% of it can be damaged and it can still regenerate if given the proper nutritional support. You can even donate part of your liver and the rest of your liver will grow back after your, your organ donation. Isn't that awesome? The most prevalent liver disease today is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or NAFLD for short. And this is characterized by the accumulation of fat in the liver. And this is really a sign that the liver has just stopped processing fat altogether and it's begun to begin, has begun to store it. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease rates have doubled since 1988 and they are linked to obesity, diabetes, hypertension, lipid imbalances, and oftentimes it can even result in the person requiring a liver transplant if it goes um, undetected and progressive far enough. So this really is can be quite a serious disease process. If your liver is sluggish, every other organ in your body is affected and your weight loss efforts will be stalled and all of these other things will sort of trickle down and sort of start to um, fall apart, so to speak. 
if you have a fatty liver, then it definitely is a toxic liver and needs to be addressed. As one of its responsibilities is to neutralize, again, the myriad of toxins that assault us every day, even if we're trying to live a clean lifestyle just by living where we live, we are assaulted by toxins. Um, if you, when your liver becomes clogged up with pollutants and metabolic waste, not only does fat accumulate in and around it, but also around your other organs and throughout the body. So cellulite, weight gain, increased visceral fat, which is that extra fat around the other organs in your body, are all signs that your liver may be suffering from a toxic overload. And this can really affect also your metabolism. So even if you're trying to eat correctly and starting to exercise, if your metabolism is already bogged down by a toxic liver, you're really just not going to be able to achieve the results that you want as easily. So let's think of the gallbladder as your liver's best friend. That might sound a little cheesy, but you'll understand more when I explain how they function together. The liver secretes about a quart and a half of bile every day and it stores it and concentrates it in your gallbladder. Bile breaks down dietary fats into smaller particles that are more digestible and absorbable. So when you eat fats, bile is released from your gallbladder into your intestines via something called the bile duct. Adequate healthy bile is essential for your body to absorb those all important fatty acids that we've all talked about that I've talked about so much in the past. And so the fatty acids that help fight inflammation and help create healthy cell um, cell membranes. So these are all absorbed because of bile. It also helps you absorb fat soluble vitamins such as vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin K, and vitamin D. And all of these have functions like fighting infection, helping you with your fertility, creating healthy bones, and some also some of these vitamins also act like hormones themselves within your body. So fats are precursors to every hormone that our body creates. Did you know that? So in a very elementary way, fats are essential to our body functioning healthily. Because if we don't have healthy hormones and healthy hormone balance, then that's going to create a whole nother um, cascade of problems, whether you're male or female. So not digesting fats has some major consequences if, again, it goes unchecked and, um, and uncaught. So if undigested fat globules pass from your gut into your bloodstream, then your cells can't incorporate them into cell membranes and your body has no choice other than to store them somewhere in your body. And we all store fat in different places thanks to our genes. So decades of consuming processed foods and nutritionally impoverished low-fat, non-fat diets have compounded this unending toxic exposure and have really damaged our gallbladder function, leading to this thick, over-concentrated and congested bile, which what we will call toxic bile today. So toxic bile is thick, sticky, and it is stopped flowing freely out of that lovely little bile duct into your intestines. And so it's no longer able to perform its duties. Bile can, can turn toxic from excess cholesterol, high toxin load, an actual clogged duct, or insufficient intake of specific nutrients that help to keep it thin and flowing freely. 
Studies have also linked elevated blood sugar levels to thicker bile and gallstone formation. So if you have elevated blood sugar levels, then you're either pre-diabetic or diabetic. So keep that in mind too, that if you've, um, if your doctor has told you either one of those terms, either pre-diabetic or actually diabetic, then you are at increased risk for gallstone formation and toxic bile. Toxic bile and obesity also feed off of each other. In addition to fat digestion, bile also plays a major role in detoxification, flushing out all those toxins from your liver. Like a magnet, bile grabs onto all sorts of nasty little things, so it can be eliminated from your body and your feces. Bile is an unseemly brew of such things as heavy metals, the drugs that you take, foreign chemicals, food preservatives, contaminants such as pesticides or flame retardants that we absorb from our furniture. Whatever the liver is getting rid of goes into the bile. The problem is if your bile is thick and congested and not flowing, all that sludge sticks around in your body. Those excess toxins get stored in your fat cells. Think about it. Your body has to put it somewhere, so if it can't excrete it out, then it's going to store it away in those fat cells. This promotes cellulite by increasing the deposition of body fat and reducing, the reducing natural collagen formation. So as toxins accumulate, it stands to reason that your health will decline. Toxic overload is a big factor in much of the chronic disease we see today that is run rampant throughout the Western and the American culture. The quality and qu quantity and quality of your bile is directly proportional to the number of toxins it can eliminate. By the time people develop allergies, arthritis, and joint inflammation, they have a 75% bile deficiency. And by the time they develop a major chronic illness, such as cancer or heart disease, their bile production has been compromised by a whopping 90%. Toxic bile is associated with numerous health problems, including, but not limited to, obesity, hormone imbalance, hypothyroidism, which is low-functioning thyroid, other autoimmune issues, and many more. If you begin experiencing nausea, vomiting, pain, fatigue, or malaise, or a menagerie of other problems, it could be your gallbladder sending out a major SOS signal. While bile becomes sludgy, gallstones begin to form. And gallstones are little hard masses, some bigger than others, that develop in the gallbladder or in the bile duct itself. And they are composed of cholesterol and calcium. And this is, um, and sometimes they can get up to the size of a golf ball. Most people with gallstones experience no overt symptoms because the stones accumulate in the gallbladder and don't move beyond there. But sometimes the gallbladder becomes inflamed, called cholecystitis, and that's usually when you start to have pain and you might have, you might begin to start having conversations with the surgeon about removing your gallbladder. So unresolved symptoms may never have, that you may have never connected to your gallbladder or your bile may include, like I said before, hypothyroidism, constipation, nausea, vomiting, pain that comes on suddenly and quickly worsens, pain that is generally focused on the right side just below the rib cage or between the shoulder blades and the right shoulder or on the right side of the neck, 
headaches over the eyes, burping, gas, bloating, and constant feeling of fullness, gastroesophageal reflux disease, which we call GERD or heartburn, uh, bitter tastes in the mouth after meal. This is uh, traces back to bile reflux itself. Light-colored or floating stool. This is a major sign of lack of bile output. Hemorrhoids, which is also a sign of congested liver. The inability to lose weight. Fibromyalgia is also uh, linked back to liver and gallbladder toxicity. Mood changes such as irritability, depression, or anxiety. Dry skin and hair, which is a, an essential fatty acid deficiency. Varicose veins. History of prescription or recreational drug use, which is a big strain on the liver and the gallbladder. And if you're easily intoxicated, then that usually means that there's a need for more liver and gallbladder support. So that was a big, really big list of things that can all be traced back to your liver and your gallbladder. So once the gallstones go on the move, they sometimes get stuck in the gallbladder, opening... Um, or in the bile duct itself. And this can cause severe upper abdominal pain in the center or just to the right of center. Typically the pain begins within an hour of eating or especially after eating a high fat meal and lasts a few hours before subsiding, although it might continue in longer waves. If an obstruction is severe enough, it can cause a life-threatening infection, and at that point, then you really will have to have your gallbladder removed. But this can also lead to things like pancreatitis and other um, complications. If um, the bile seeps into the bloodstream, then you can start um, turning, your skin might turn like a yellow color or even the whites of your eyes may turn yellow and that's called jaundice. And unfortunately, many people are unaware that they have a gallbladder problem or gallstones until it is so advanced and so severe that they're in the hospital with some of these very severe pain and jaundice symptoms. And unfortunately, gallbladder removal is the most frequently performed abdominal surgery in the United States today. And unlike your liver, your gallbladder cannot regenerate itself. So once it's gone, it's gone. And those who lose their gallbladder experience increased risk of obesity and an increased, um, increased number of other serious health problems. So contrary to the fact that many physicians still tell their patients that getting their gallbladder taken out is no big deal, not having one puts you at a serious disadvantage for being able to digest fats that your body uh, desperately needs for healthy function. So now that we've concluded our chemistry lesson, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the common conditions that are associated with toxic bile. So one of the main ones, and it might seem really benign, is constipation. And bile salts, are, bile salts are responsible for lubricating the intestinal tract. So if you have a bile insufficiency or sluggish bile, then the constipation is going to be a natural consequence of this. As you increase your bile flow, constipation be, may become no more than an unpleasant memory, hopefully. Simply by implementing some dietary changes and strategies, you can um, get things moving and eliminating. Um, so that's great. So be sure to move your body physically, get some exercise and drink plenty of water every day, but also we'll go over later some of the dietary uh, things you can implement. Also heartburn and acid reflux. I mentioned this a little earlier with um, when I uh, talked about GERD, but um, 
everyone has been brainwashed into believing that excess stomach acid is the root of their GERD or their heartburn. But in fact, studies have shown just the opposite, that GERD is more often associated with an underproduction of stomach acid, which is um, hydrochloric acid. So GERD, which is commonly called acid indigestion or heartburn, occurs when your stomach contents backflush into the esophagus and cause a burning sensation or heartburn. GERD can also produce symptoms like gas, bloating, and burping after meals. Individuals typically experience a 40% drop in stomach acid production by the time they reach their 30s, and another 50% de decrease by age 70. That's a lot, and that drastically affects how we are able to uh, digest our food. So over time, reflux can have some serious complications such as esophageal inflammation, erosion, ulceration, bleeding, scarring, and eventually, again, if not treated, esophageal cancer. So if heartburn is not caused by excess stomach acid, what is the cause? So most commonly, GERD is almost always a muscle problem. So you have a little valve at the bottom of your esophagus called your lower esophageal sphincter. And this valve is supposed to keep the gastric juices from backing up into your esophagus, except when you burp or vomit. However, in people with GERD, the sphincter fails to close properly, which allows the stomach contents to pass through. So reflux produces symptoms regardless of how much, how much or how little acid is in your stomach. The problem is not the excess acid, although that's the burning you're feeling, but rather that the acid is in the wrong place. So why does this little sphincter malfunction? One reason is increased stomach pressure from overeating. And I feel like this is a huge American problem. A lot of us were taught, you know, to finish all the food on our plate, regardless of how much is on there. You know, there's starving people that in other countries that would love to have what, you know, we were too full to eat. Or, um, you know, there's many reasons that, especially we as adults, overeat past the point of feeling satiated and full. Another is gas related to poor digestion of certain carbohydrates or sugars that then end up fermenting in our stomach. Dairy is a major offender of this. Other foods that can weaken the sphincter are alcoholic beverages, acidic foods, spicy foods, coffee, and unfortunately even chocolate as well as certain medications. So the conventional treatment for GERD is to block that acid production. And we do this by using um, antacids, H2 blockers, such as Zantac, Pepsid, and Tagamet, or the newer drugs, the proton pump inhibitors, which are now unfortunately available over the counter. And these include things like Prilosec, Prevacid, and Nexium. Millions of people have been popping PPIs, as they're called, in the medical field on a daily basis to suppress their acid production. But again, the problem is not the production of the acid, but where the acid is being allowed to go. So there are huge side effects that are related to these drugs, as well as nutrient deficiencies that these drugs can cause. You might be wondering what GERD and stomach acid have to do with your gallbladder. Did I maybe go off on a little tangent here? Well, 
low hydrochloric acid, which is the acid in your stomach, and gallbladder gallbladder problems again go hand in hand. You know, our body is in an entire ecosystem all of its own. So we have this habit in Western medicine to divide the body up into a specific organ systems. And like I said before, we have the hepatic, which is your liver and your gallbladder, and then we have the digestive, which would include your stomach and intestines. But really they should be, you know, like holding hands together because they are very intricately connected. When you eat, the HCL is what triggers the release of the bile and as well as some other pancreatic enzymes. So blocking this hydrochloric acid with drugs actually stops the bile from flowing out and it stops your body from being able to digest the food that you just ate. Excess dietary carbohydrates and starches, as well as insufficient fats, can also stifle and impair, can stifle HCL and impair bile production. Stress, overeating, eating too quickly, eating irregularly, or not chewing your food thoroughly can also challenge your body's HCL production. And again, not to be redundant, but making matters worse, popping the PPIs at the first sign of heartburn only makes the problem worse. You might be getting some temporary relief, but you're not helping your body digest its food, absorb nutrients, or keep the bile flowing and your liver flowing. So is there a way to boost your hydrochloric acid levels? Why, yes, there is actually. Many find relief in taking a stomach acid replacement, such as apple cider vinegar before meals. However, if your esophageal lining is already damaged or you have a hiatal hernia, you may not be able to tolerate much more acidic things until that tissue is healed. So the best solution is to correct the condition that's blocking the normal acid production instead of artificially raising it. Some of the causes we've already discussed, but also make sure you're getting a plenty of HCL supporting nutrients. And these are sodium, iodine, zinc. Um, iodine and zinc, by the way, are also essential to supporting your thyroid. But you can get these through seafood and pumpkin seeds. Also, try not to overdo it on the protein as this can overwhelm the HCL production as well. Make sure you're getting plenty of vitamin C because low vitamin C will suppress the conversion of cholesterol into bile. And other helpful treatments include papaya leaf, a bromelian supplement, and pine nut oil. One more side note about the PPIs. If you are a heartburn sufferer, and I was for many years until I changed my diet, and even once I changed my diet, it still took quite a while for the lining in my esophagus to actually heal. So be patient with yourself. Don't absolutely stop your acid-blocking drugs cold turkey, especially if you've been taking them for a long time, because one of the major side effects of a cold turkey stop with these drugs is rebound reflux. And so oftentimes you will feel worse than you did before you started. So what I would suggest, um, because I would love for you to be able to release these drugs from your life, is start by obviously number one, changing your diet, sticking with it, and eating a GI healing, soothing style, and we'll talk about that later, but then start to slowly wean yourself off. So if you've been taking something either um, 
before every meal, then maybe see if you can cut down to before two meals and then before one meal and then go to every other day and, you know, slowly wean yourself off like that. If you've been doing a PPI once daily, so that's Protonix, Nexium, Prevacid, Prilosec, any of those, um, like I said, usually those are taken once a day. So try to start, you know, every other day. And then if you can tolerate every other day without increased heartburn, then um, every two days, and then eventually every three, and then hopefully you'll get down to once a week, and then hopefully eventually you'll get down to not at all. So there are some very real long-term side effects. And even in the acute care Western medicine world, which I still practice in, we have found ourselves over-prescribing these drugs to our patients, even in the hospital. So both on the outpatient and the inpatient side, these drugs are extremely overprescribed. They are way overused, and this has a lot uh, broader consequences than we ever realized. But um, I think it's great that healthcare providers are taking steps to roll it back. And so that's part, of, I want to be able to give you the tools so you can also do that yourself, especially since all these drugs now are over the counter. So you could, technically could be taking them without ever seeing a physician. And so I feel like it's really important for you to have the tools that you need to um, do the best that you can with um, helping yourself feel great and heal from things like this. All right, so I said that we were going to talk about the thyroid and how can bile be related to your thyroid. So few people realize that sluggish bile can actually drag down your thyroid. If you're not absorbing fats, then you cannot make thyroid hormones, period. And so around 80% of women over the age of 40 and many more, um, even younger women these days, are starting to have thyroid issues. And um, I won't say it's entirely uh, related because it's a very complicated or attributed because it is a complicated process and it's very multifactorial. But I think one of the things that's not talked about enough is the relation of bile to this process. Suboptimal bile flow and sluggish thyroid share many of the same symptoms, including fatigue, weight gain, digestive issues, constipation, dry skin, and many more things. There have been several big studies that have um, drawn the link between thyroid and bile, and I'm not going to bore you or mind numb you with all those details today. If you're interested in learning more about this, you can check out um, the book Radical Metabolism, and um, that, that book really goes into depth about some of these studies. But essentially, the take-home is, is that um, like we've already said, dietary fats supply your body with raw materials needed to produce your thyroid hormones. And um, to make matters worse, when you go into hypothyroidism, this slows the emptying of your biliary tract, which increases your risk for stone formation. Another factor is gut bacteria. This also plays a role in helping your body convert T4 into T3. Thyroid hormone also relaxes one another one of your sphincters in your body, which controls the flow of bile into the small intestine. So if your thyroid hormone levels are low, which is what we call hyperthyroid, this sphincter tenses up and less bile can pass, which increases the risk for gallstones. 
Even now, with all this groundbreaking science, more than 90% of physicians fail to recognize the bile as a factor for their thyroid patients. So if any of this is resonating with you and you're starting to suspect that maybe this could be part of what's going on in your system, then there are definitely some tests. I would recommend finding a functional medicine practitioner or a naturopath or someone that is, um, let's see, more inclined to look at the body as a whole and to really get to the source of some of these other issues that you might be suffering from that, like we've talked about, where bile could be really the root of the problem. And if some of your blood tests come back uh, indicating that you could have some sluggishness or some buildup or even stones forming, then the next step beyond that would be some diagnostic imaging tests, which you would probably then need to go back to your um, allopathic physician or your PCP. So I definitely want you to get checked out if any of this is sounding familiar or ringing true for you. But I now want to talk about some tools that you can do on your own and some foods that you can eat to um, help you get on the right path and help you, your bile get flowing again. So there are a number of natural treatments that you can do at home to reduce inflammation and restore your healthy bile flow, whether you have a gallbladder or not. So if you could only do one thing to improve the situation, it would be to incorporate more bitter foods into your diet. Many plant foods qualify as bitters. Some studies suggest that bitters, quote, get your juices flowing. by, And they do this by stimulating the release of bile, but in, they also stimulate the re release of saliva, hydrochloric acid, pepsin, gastrin, and pancreatic enzymes. So bitters may also increase the tone of that sphincter that I talked about earlier that is involved in mitigating your heartburn. It is unclear if we need to swallow the bitters. Some, research, some researchers suggest that we need to taste them for some of these juices to be uh, released and for it to be effective, um, which may require you to take some in relatively small doses because obviously their name are bitter, so they are bitter. Um, but a good starting point is to wean yourself off of sweet tastes first or in a, I guess, in addition to at the same time. And this will help you develop your taste for bitter. And a lot of us have lost our natural affinity for bitter foods because the American and Western diets have become so saturated in sugar and sweetness. So even if it's not cane sugar, it could be high fructose corn syrup, or it could be maltodextrin, or one of these other synthetic sweetening things. So the addiction to sweets has really sabotaged any semblance of what ideally would be called a balanced diet. And um, this is because Americans are consuming between 77 and 152 pounds of sugar every year. That is crazy to me. And that's just table sugar. That doesn't include all the other refined carbohydrates that are so readily available in the American diet. Years of processed foods and low-fat diets and high in sugar and refined carb diets have contributed to this sluggish gallbladder and congestive bile problem and obviously um, all the other diseases and symptoms that we've been talking about. So the antidote to the sweetness addiction is to develop your taste for other tastes. Your tongue has a, a various amounts 
I'm sorry, <laughs> your tongue has different taste sensors. Only one of them is for sweet. You also have a salty area on your tongue, a sour area, and a bitter area. And the more you cut back on the sweet, the better you'll be able to taste the other three. So bitter greens, such as watercress, arugula, endive, dandelion, and radicchio, offer wonderful benefits, as does horseradish, which also has some cancer-fighting properties. So I'm going to include on the on this episode's uh, webpage a list of bitter foods because I don't want to bore you to death just by reading off the list. So if you're interested in incorporating some of these bitter foods to get your juices flowing, then definitely check out the list, which I'll attach on the page. There's also bitter herbs and spices, and these can be things like chamomile and cinnamon and fennel and hot flowers, milk thistle. Uh, uh, addition, uh, basil, coriander, there's a whole bunch. Again, I don't want to um, bore you with just like reading off of a list, but um, there are so many out there that I trust you will not get bored um, with playing with the palette that you can develop and um, cooking with these or making um, teas with them. There's so many different fun and creative ways that you can start incorporating these into your diet. So it doesn't just have to be like eating the whole thing. It could be spicing your food. Um, I just mentioned mint, uh, making teas or buying teas with these flavors. Um, so think about that too. So in addition to the bitter greens, there are other foods and supplements that are really good for bile and gallbladder support. And um, one, of, one of these is called our beets, and they contain a chemical called betaine, which is a rich source of hydrochloric acid, which thins the bile and helps prevent the gallstones that we talked so much about earlier. So if you're like me and you abhor beets, which I really do, I've tried them and tried them and I really just hate them. Sorry, mom, I really do. <laughs> but I take a supplement and um, one of the uh, ingredients in the supplement is betaine. And so that helps support the hydrochloric acid that is uh, in my stomach. So another one is choline. This is a major component of bile that helps emulsify the fats. And um, there is, if you look at the book that I mentioned earlier, Radical Metabolism, there's a whole section on choline and goes into all that nitty gritty and the chemistry. If that's something you're interested in, definitely check that out. Taurine, T-A-U-R-I-N-E, is another key component of bile acids. And this is an essential amino acid that helps bile excrete chemicals detoxed by the liver. And I'm sure you've seen it in some energy drinks or maybe even some um, diet supplements, but it increases bile production and then thins the bile and reduces cholesterol levels in the blood and the liver. Many people are actually deficient in this essential amino acid especially vegans and vegetarians, because taurine is derived from organ meats. And so if you're a vegan or vegetarian, you're obviously not having any organ meats, so you're probably going to be taurine deficient. Taurine also improves lipid profiles, and um, some studies have shown that it lowers the risk of obesity. Uh, another enzyme is pancreatic lipase. And this is an enzyme that is specifically for breaking down fats. And if you're going to take it, you should take it 30 minutes before you eat. 
And so when it uh, is taken on an empty stomach, it helps fight cancer by stripping the cancer cells of their fibrin, which is the outer coating that shields them from your immune system. So that's something to look into. Um, and a lot of times pancreatic lipase will be included in a digestive enzyme supplement. So that is something else that I personally take that's part of my um, gut healing repertoire. So um, if you are interested in that, I can put a link to the pancreatic or not the digestive enzyme that I take that includes pancreatic lipase. Uh, what else? Let's see. Dandelion root. This is a wonderful herb that decreases liver congestion and increases bile flow due to a very specific compound that this plant has. Artichokes. Artichokes are fabulous for bile, is a fabulous bile producing food and liver protectant. And the leaves from the artichoke contain another very specific chemical which promotes bile flow. So there are so many things out there that you can do to help your body along and to decrease some of that congestion that is built up over the years. Another thing that you can do that I've also done an entire podcast on is intermittent fasting. Overeating is the number one cause of gallbladder attacks, regardless of the type of food that you've ingested. And the stomach needs to be able to turn and mix your food with all the yummy juices in there in order to get it broken down and then assimilated and excreted. And so if your stomach is absolutely stuffed to the gills, then it's like an overloaded washing machine. Have you ever overloaded your washing machine and then you're like, some of your clothes are wet, some of your clothes are dry, some of the soap is like all globbed together and hasn't even been mixed up. Well, that's what you're doing in your stomach when you're overeating and stuffing yourself to death. So intermittent fasting can be a tool to give, give your uh, stomach what we call digestive rest. And while you're fasting, your body is relying on its stored proteins and stored fat and stored sugar sources and so you're not starving yourself, but you're just giving your, your stomach a chance to rest. And you're giving your stomach, uh, your body a chance to use some of that stored up fuel and it breaks down um, free radicals and it helps your body get rid of what it doesn't need. So there's a lot of benefits to intermittent fasting and I encourage you, I'll put the link into the other podcast that I did about intermittent fasting if you're interested in that. And um, you can do... Um, as little as like an eight to 12 hour fast. So technically even while you're sleeping, you're fasting. Or you can get a little bit more ambitious and you can do a 24 hour fast or even a 48 hour fast. But I, you know, as a person that has also incorporated intermittent fasting into her life, I will tell you that it takes a little bit of practice and some um, acclimation before you can comfortably do a 24 to 48 hour fast, but it is possible. And you will be pleasantly surprised at how awake and alive and in tune that you will feel because once you start to fast beyond that 18 to 24 hour mark, then your body starts to produce ketones, which your brain uses as food. And so it can really be great for increasing your mental alertness and awareness. 
Uh, let's see. Is there anything else? I think I have talked your ear off enough about the gallbladder and bile in your liver. I hope that I've shed some light on some things that maybe you weren't aware of or made some links to some things um, for you. If you have any questions or any points of discussion that you want to bring up, please do. Uh, I love talking about this with my clients, my friends, my family, um, or even perfect strangers. So um, please don't be shy. Reach out. Tell me your questions. Tell me your concerns. Tell me if you totally disagree with everything I just said. I am happy to hear your feedback. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean and anchor.fm. And my name is Dr. Lara May. I'm a board certified pharmacotherapy specialist and integrative nutrition health coach. And I am working towards my functional medicine practitioner certificate. So I, if you have any questions or want to know about something specific, please let me know. And I'm happy to oblige. Leave me comments, leave me likes, give me reviews if you want to, if you feel so inspired. Uh, but definitely have a fantastic day and I'll catch you on the flip side.